How am I really doing spiritually? My friends, that is a very important question. I mean, it really is when you think about it. How am I really doing spiritually? On December 26, 2004, 10-year-old Tilly Smith and her family were enjoying an idyllic vacation in this beautiful Thai beach. And as they were walking along the beach, something was bothering Tilly. She was watching the water, and it wasn't behaving normally. It was behaving weird, and for some reason she couldn't remember why. It, it was bothering her. And then, all of a sudden, it hit her. She had been studying about tsunamis in her school class, and they had talked about the behavior of the water just before a tsunami. And she said, all of a sudden, she said, I know there's something wrong. I know what's going to happen. The tsunami. And you just blurted this out. And her parents were a little bit concerned, as you can imagine, because, you know, our daughter has gone off the deep end. Well, they tried to calm her down and keep on walking on this beautiful, idyllic day, and there was no indications of any problems, but she was just hysterical. So they had to take her back to the hotel. And as they were going back, you know, I think the parents kind of got a little bit worried that maybe she knew what she was talking about. Maybe there really was a class that had talked about this and that it was a real thing. And so they actually just kind of mentioned it to the people at the hotel there. And um, the hotel people took it seriously. And they actually evacuated the beach. Just a short time later, 213,000 people died from that tsunami. Not one person on that beach was hurt because a 10-year-old girl recognized the signs of impending doom. My friends, it is important that we recognize the signs of our spiritual condition. Are we in the path of a tsunami? Are we really where we want to be spiritually, where we must be spiritually? How do you know how you are doing spiritually? On what do you base that, the answer to that question? How am I doing spiritually? Do you know what one of the defining characteristics of Laodicea is? Self-deception. Lukewarm is one of them, but another one is self-deception. I'm rich and in need of nothing and don't realize that I'm wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, right? So how can we, as, who has this defining characteristic of self-deception, answer accurately the question, how am I really doing spiritually? Am I surrendered? How can I know? Peter, in one of the perhaps most beautiful proclamations in all of scripture, said this, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. If you had asked Peter how he was doing spiritually, what would he have said? Right. Wonderful, right? <laughs> I will die with Jesus. A few hours later, he swore and cursed and denied he even knew the guy. Why? Why did Peter deny Jesus? Only a few hours after making this wonderful, beautiful proclamation. The Bible tells us why. Matthew says, those who had arrested Jesus took him, talking about Jesus, to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But, I hate that word, but Peter followed him at a distance. Those are incredibly sad words. Peter followed him at a distance. Now contrast Peter's following at a distance with John, the beloved disciple. Where was John during this whole time? 
He was right up there with Jesus. He didn't care who knew that he was a disciple of Jesus. He was not trying to hide it. Peter was back trying to hide, right? Peter followed at a distance. And look at the difference in their experience. Peter denied Jesus. Peter had just declared that he knew not Jesus, but he now realized with bitter grief how well his Lord knew him and how accurately he had heard and read his heart, the falseness of which was unknown even to himself. Peter did not know his own heart. Peter made this beautiful proclamation and just a few hours later denied Jesus. So how are you doing spiritually? How am I doing spiritually? How do you know? How can we know? These are incredibly practical questions for the Christian. And you know, Jesus warns us that uh, following at a distance is a common problem. Do you remember the story of the four soils? There was the path soil. They don't care about Jesus at all. Then there was the rocky soil. They follow Jesus until it starts getting hot. They followed Jesus, but they followed at a distance. Then there was the thorny soil. They followed Jesus until, right, things distract them and push, pull them away from Jesus. And then there was the good soil. They followed Jesus, period. End of story. My friends, the scary thing about that parable is that one-third, only one-third, of those who claim to follow Jesus really followed Jesus all the way. Right? Out of the three soils that follow Jesus, only one truly follows Jesus. One-third follow Jesus. That's pretty scary. You know, and Jesus didn't stop there. He, he was full of scary words. Listen to this. Enter through the narrow gate, for, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Doesn't that kind of frighten you a little bit? Like, really? Wow. Many will go the broad way. Only a few find the narrow way. Pretty scary. Well, here's some more scary words. Jesus was preaching, and this guy came up to him. I don't know what Jesus was preaching at that moment, but this guy came up to him and he asked this question. He said, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Maybe this was the Sermon on the Mount, and he had just heard Jesus say only a few would find it. I don't know. But for some reason, this guy says, really, Lord? Are there just a few who are being saved? And what does Jesus say? Does he say, oh, don't worry about it. Don't get uptight about this. Just, you know, do the best you can. You'll be fine. Is that what Jesus said? No, he said something really frightening. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Let me ask you a question about this statement. These people that are not entering, is it because they don't care? No, they're seeking to enter. They're trying to enter. They want to enter, but they're not able to enter. That's pretty frightening. I don't know about you. Many will say to me on that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. My friends, this is perhaps the most frightening verse in all of Scripture because here is a group of people who sincerely believe that God will, when Jesus comes again, that he will open their, his arms to them and say, well done, good and faithful servants, when in reality Jesus will say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Isn't that scary? These guys were casting out demons and performing miracles in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It is important that we understand this question, how am I doing spiritually? It's critically important.
Did you notice in these verses that we've been looking at how many times the word many is used? Many enter the broad way. Many seek to enter heaven and are not able to. Many will mistakenly say, Lord, Lord. And Ellen White has her own many story or um, statement. She says, it is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered on the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Wow, that's pretty scary too, isn't it? Not one in 20 whose names are registered on the church books are any better off in terms of their spiritual condition than the common sinner. Wow. Do you see now why, important, why it's so important that we can answer this question? How am I really doing spiritually? Because the defining characteristic of Laodicea, one of the, the two defining characteristics, is self-deception. How can we see through this fog of self-deception and recognize our true spiritual condition? That's what we need to, to talk about today. Okay, so I'd like to tell, uh, share with you a story. Kids, you'll like this story. I was vacuuming in my lab at Southern Adventist University. And I was using this new vacuum cleaner I'd never used before. And as I was vacuuming, um, I was, after a while, doubting that it was really doing a very good job because I would see these same yellow, red, green specks that I had just vacuumed up. They had moved, but they were still there. And so I asked myself, I wonder if this vacuum cleaner is really working. So I, um, I felt underneath it, you know, to see if the roller was spinning. And yeah, the roller was spinning. There was some airflow under there. So I said, okay, well, it's, it's probably working. I'm just expecting a little bit too much of this vacuum cleaner because, you know, the lab floor is pretty bad. It's got wires and all kinds of, you know, bad stuff on it. So I just kept on vacuuming a little bit. But the more I vacuumed, the more convinced I became that this thing was not really picking up anything. It was just shuffling it all around. So I said, how in the world am I going to know if it's working or not? Um, so I came up with a solution. This is an engineer solution. I turned off the vacuum cleaner. It, the vacuum cleaner I was using had a clear plastic case like that on the front. I turned off the vacuum cleaner. I opened it up. I looked inside. I took a mental snapshot of the dust that was in there. And then I put the lid back on and then I vacuumed for a while. And then I took it back off again and looked at it again. The idea was I want to see if there's any more dust than there was before. I want to see if anything's changed, right? Well, the, the test was inconclusive. I really couldn't see a whole lot of new dust, but then how much dust would you expect to see in a couple minutes of vacuuming? How long do you have to vacuum before you actually see a, a new accumulation of dust in there? So I was no better off than when I started. At that point, I also realized that there was a filter inside that clear plastic case. And I said, oh, maybe the filter needs cleaning. And sure enough, I took the filter out and there was a, like a quarter inch of very fine dust around the whole filter. So I took it over to the dust bin and I went, boom, that was a mistake, <laughs> right? <laughs> dust everywhere in my face. Anyway, so I cleaned out that filter until it was nice and white, beautiful filter. I put it in, confident now that this thing was going to work beautifully, but again, it wasn't working. It didn't seem to be working. I couldn't tell, but I wanted to know, I really wanted to know if this thing was working or not, but I could not tell. How do you know if a vacuum cleaner is working? Well, it's not always as easy as it seems. I mean, if it's hard to find out how a vacuum cleaner is working, how do you know if your spiritual life is working, right? If you can't answer the easy question, how are you going to answer the hard question? Well, at that point, I decided to get really radical 
I took out my screwdriver. This is a lab. I do have tools, right? So I took out the screwdriver and I actually disconnected the hose from the bottom head. And when I did that, I noticed there was a clog of dirt there. And so I pulled it out and there was another clog and another clog. Matter of fact, I had to get a wire with a hook on it and, and put it in there and you know, just pull this big, huge clod of dirt out of there. It had been jam-packed in there so tightly, there's no way that vacuum cleaner could have worked. Then when I put it back together, and it did still work when I put it back together, which is nice. When I put it back together and turned it on, you'll never believe what happened. The clear plastic case, the dust in there started swirling like a, like a tornado. I didn't know it was supposed to do that. If I had only known that this vacuum cleaner did that, I could have told you right away that it wasn't working. If only I had known the signs of a working vacuum cleaner. There must be a spiritual implication there somewhere. <laughs> if only I had known the signs. You know, my friends, there are signposts on the broad road. There are signposts on the narrow way. We need to recognize those signs. Those signs can help us know what road we're on. It's critically important, not just for vacuum cleaners, but for the Christian life to be able to recognize the signs. The Bible says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, what? Unless you fail the test. Okay, good news. We can test ourselves. Jesus said to um, Peter, do you love me? And Ellen White says that this heart-searching question was necessary in the case of Peter. And it's necessary in our case, she says. The work of restoration can never be thorough unless the roots of evil are reached. So this testing is an important part of our lives. Test yourselves, except the problem is only God can do it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Yes, we must test ourselves, but we have to have God's help. Only God can do it. Only we can let him. No matter what it is in the Christian life, only God can do it. Only we can let him. Our constant prayer must be, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. So, we need to look at the signs to know what road we're on. But, be careful. There are some false signposts on the road. And we need to talk about those very quickly. False signposts. Purify your soul from all unclean things. By the way, this is not Ellen White speaking. This was found in the luggage of an air disaster victim. Purify your soul from all unclean things. Completely forget something called this world or this life. The time for play is over, and the serious time is upon us. How much time have we wasted in our lives? Shouldn't we take advantage of these last hours to offer good deeds and obedience? God is all we need. He is the best to rely upon. An action for the sake of Christ, a God, is better than all of, God, of what is in this world. If God gives you victory, no one can beat you. And if he betrays you, who can give you victory without him? So the faithful put their trust in God. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That was written by Muhammad Atta, who was one of the terrorists who drove a plane into the World Trade Centers. That was part of his training manual for his terrorists. So, the first false sign is zeal for God. Did you know that zeal for God is not a sign of your relationship with God? Did you know that? If you don't believe me, ask Saul before he was converted. You think he had zeal for God? Yes, he was persecuting God's people for God's sake and thinking he was doing God's will. Yes, he had a lot of zeal, but he was sincerely mistaken. His relationship has serious issues. He hadn't been converted, and that was the problem. 
The second false sign that we need to be careful about is feelings. My friends, feelings have their place. God has given us emotions for a very good reason. One of them is not to tell us what our true spiritual condition is. That's not what feelings are for. Feelings are not trustworthy because feelings are often based on circumstances. They're often based on what you eat the night before. They're often uh, based on who you talk to and what you say and what you do. They're based on circumstances. Ellen White tells about some who profess to love Jesus and who shed tears as they read the story of the cross, and yet they hated those who loved his appearing and shut them out of the churches. We cannot trust our feelings. Feelings for Christ are not necessarily indicators of our true relationship with him. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Emotions are powerful tools, but they are not a tool to help us know our relationship with Jesus. Many, Ellen White tells us, look for a special change to take place in their feelings. This they term conversion. Over this error, thousands have stumbled to ruin, not understanding the expression, you must be born again. My friends, that describes me. I thought I was converted because I had this special high, spiritual high when I was young. And she says that many thousands, thousands have stumbled to ruin, and I was one of those thousands. But fortunately, God got me before I stumbled all the way down. Are you converted? How do you know? On what do you base the answer to that question? How can you prove that you are converted? Well, my friends, we've talked about some false signs. There are also some true signs. Let's look now at the true signs that can help us to recognize our true spiritual condition. Many, Ellen White tells us, profess to be on the Lord's side, but they are not. By what means shall we determine whose side we are on? That is the question we've been asking. We probably could have started right here, right? <laughs> By what means shall we determine whose side we are on? Are you ready for this? This is the answer. Drum roll, please. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Upon whom do we love to converse? And she goes on. Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are on the Lord's side, our thoughts are with him and our sweetest thoughts are of him. We have no friendship with the world. We have consecrated all that we have and are to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. So we've been asking the wrong question. The question is not how am I doing spiritually. The question is who really has my heart? <laughs> who really has my heart? And the reason why that's a, a little bit of a difficult question is because we've read this verse. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So who has your heart? How do you know? <laughs> so we're a little bit farther ahead, but we're not there yet because we have a deceitful heart. You know that, uh, those Lord, Lord Christians? Did you know that when you say somebody in the, in the Hebrew culture, when you say Lord, Lord, or I mean, when you say a person's name twice, that is an indication of special intimacy with them. And that happens quite a bit through the Bible. Um, when the Lord spoke to Abraham at Mount Moriah, when he was ready to plunge the knife in his son's heart, how did he stop him? He said, Abraham, Abraham. When God said, uh, said to Jacob, I want you to go and, and go to Israel, he called him in a dream. He says, Jacob, Jacob. Compare that to Moses when he was called at the burning bush. Moses, Moses, or Samuel. Remember that? Samuel, Samuel, he's called twice. And then, of course, there's David's cry of agony, Absalom, Absalom, you know. 
And then of Jesus, when he was on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, right? When you repeat a person's name twice, that is a, a symbol of intimacy with that person. These Lord, Lord Christians really believed they had an intimate relationship with Jesus. They thought that God had their heart, but the heart is deceptive among all, above all things. Who can understand it? Who has my heart? Who has your heart? How can we know? Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here, we're starting to find the key to how to know about our true spiritual condition. The Holy Spirit is invisible. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit is living in you? Can you see the Holy Spirit? No, you can't, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. It's the same way in the Christian life. While the wind is, in, is, is itself invisible, it produces effects that are seen and felt. So the work of the Spirit upon the soul will reveal itself, how? In every act of him who has felt its saving power. My friends, we can know our spiritual condition by the effects of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Like the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that are the fruits of the Spirit. Those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them have the fruits of the Spirit, right? We can't trust our feelings, but we can trust the evidences of God's work in us and through us. To know Jesus requires a change of heart, we are told. No unconverted person in his natural state of depravity loves Christ. A love of Jesus is the first result of conversion. The proof of this love, she goes on, is given. If ye love me, keep my commandments. It turns out that spirit-inspired, spirit-motivated obedience is the surest sign of our spiritual condition. The obedience that the Holy Spirit produces in and through us is the surest sign of our true spiritual condition. We were just talking about this unintentional sin and intentional sin thing. This is where this becomes extremely practical. Because if God is giving us victory over the intentional sins, that is a proof that he is working powerfully in our lives. And if he's not giving us victory, then we need to worry, we need to be concerned about where we are in our surrender experience. John says, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, Ellen White says, our life will be a life of what? Continual obedience. We recognize our conversion by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to deny ourselves, to choose God's choices over our own. These are the true signs in tangible terms. By this we know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Keeps going. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. See how many times... Obedience is related to this, this true sign of our spiritual condition. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that the true sign on the narrow way of our, our experience with Jesus is the power of the Holy Spirit to give us victory over sin. Intentional sin I'm talking about. When we can resist the devil and the devil flees from us consistently, we know that we have submitted because that only happens when you submit. That's the sign of our true spiritual condition. Several years after my conversion, I was walking in front of my house and I was asking myself a very interesting question. I was asking myself, Mike, why do you do this? Why do you live this life that you're living? I mean, this is a, a great life, you know, but it's really hard. It's self-denying, it's self-sacrificing. Why are you doing it? Why are you eating as healthfully as you know how? Why aren't you eating the things you really want to eat? I asked myself this question, I was being very honest with myself. I asked myself, why am I not watching the movies that I crave so much? You know, and God didn't take away all my cravings immediately. I hope you know that. <laughs> why am I doing all these things that I don't want to do and denying myself all the things I do want to do? Why am I doing it? Well, I didn't have an answer for myself. I said I hoped that it was because I loved God and I wanted to please him. That's what I wanted. I didn't really feel that I loved God necessarily that passionately, that I'd, I'd be willing to do that for him. But... I, I, couldn't ask, I couldn't answer that question. Well, almost a year later, I was thinking that same question again, and all of a sudden the answer just popped into my head. I knew exactly. I knew now why I was living that self-denying life. It was because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do it. In other words, God had actually given me what he had promised to give me. He had promised to give me motivation to do it and the ability to do it. And I was surprised because I'm not used to God getting his way in my life. God had promised to work in me both to will and to do it, and now he was working in me both to will and to do it, and I was surprised by that. Oh, me of little faith. Yes, it really works. When we give God our life, he does incredible things, supernatural things in our lives, and we shouldn't be surprised. Conversion really works. God really does work in us both to will and to do it, even against our own desires. For it is God who is at work in you, Philippians 2.13, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Righteousness is right doing, and it is by their deeds that all will be judged. Our characters are revealed by what? By what we do. Our characters are revealed by what we do. The works show whether the faith is genuine. In another place she writes, Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. This is the genuine evidence of conversion. Whatever our profession, it amounts to nothing unless Christ is revealed in works of righteousness. In another place she says, Obedience, the service and allegiance of love, is the truest sign of discipleship. Isn't that incredible? Obedience, the service and allegiance of love. In other words, this is spirit-inspired, spirit-enabled, love-motivated obedience. This is not pharisaical obedience. This is the true sign of discipleship. In other words, my friends, this is good news. You and I can know what path we're on. You and I can know if we're truly surrendered. Because when we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil and he flees from us. When we don't submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil and he laughs in our face. How can we really know how we're doing spiritually? It's by the signs and obedience. The service and allegiance of love is the true sign of discipleship. So how are we doing? How are you doing? How can you know? This, I believe, is the answer. 
The Bible tells us, by this we know. By this we know when we obey his commandments. When by the supernatural power of God, we consistently give God our choices. When he gives us consistent power over these intentional, known, bad choices. We can truly say, it's got to be the Holy Spirit because I can't do this. We can truly say that. And God is willing and able and ready to give us consistent victory over every known bad choice in our lives, over every intentional sin. And anything short of that is not full surrender. Does God have your heart? How do you know? Do you love his will? Do you love to do his will? Is the power of the Holy Spirit working powerfully in you to do his will consistently? That's the abundant life that God has for each of us. By this we know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can know our true spiritual condition. And Father, if we're not at that place yet, grant that we will not get discouraged. Grant, Heavenly Father, that we will cling to you no matter how far we are away from you right now. Grant that we will say, Lord, this is what I want. I want this consistent victory over known chosen sin. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that we can come to you. That, that, you, <laughs> that we can be your own fortress. That you can work supernaturally in our lives to make us impregnable to the assault of Satan. We thank you for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.